Welcome to Leadership in 10, a podcast meant to encourage, inspire, and give insight into what it looks like to lead well during the current pandemic. It's also meant to be a space where we can engage in authentic dialogue about the challenges we're facing right now. I'm Jennifer Cho, and I'm happy to be speaking with Eric Crowdhamel, the Vice President of Engineering and Continuous Improvement for Knoll. Welcome, Eric, and thanks for joining me today. To get started, it's always good for people to get a sense of who you are. So would you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your background? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Jennifer. This is my officially my first podcast, so <laughs> honored to have been uh, selected and hope I can share a few uh, useful nuggets here of information. So, well, for starters, I actually grew up right down the road from East Greenville in Quakertown, Pennsylvania where I met my wife, Nicole, there between uh, semesters at Penn State. Studied uh, mechanical engineering and honestly thought I was going to be a mechanical design engineer for the rest of my life. And I okay. uh, had my first uh, internship, first real internship in that space, designing HVAC systems. And honestly, Jennifer, I, I hated it. <laughs> um, so I kind of hit a career crossroads before my uh, career ever actually started. And I was on a mission then my senior year at Penn State to find a company that had some form of a rotational program or something where I could get different flavors of a business and and, and try some things and, and, and sure. figure things out. So I ended up in a company called Cole Morgan, which was in Southern Virginia, which was a company that engineered and manufactured servo motion control systems. So nothing like furniture, but it was, uh, I selected that because I entered into a leadership development program there where early on I got to experience different roles and right into the factory floor as a manufacturing engineer, a quality engineer. And really at that place found my passion for ops and quality wow. and continuous improvement. And, and it was really great great to experience that. From that from that point, I was there for 13 years and got a call from Noel. And honestly, it was a perfect opportunity professionally and personally, because one, my family and I, and I then my wife and I had two kids at the time, got the opportunity to not only move home or closer to home, but then also professionally, you know, the opportunity to take the learnings from Dan here and do the same lean transformation efforts here at Noel. So that's what brought me here and started as the VP of, uh, of manufacturing for the East Greenville site and then went on to lead Project Prelude and now VP of engineering and continuous improvement. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Okay. So you mentioned Project Prelude. So I wanted to talk about that because I know you've been in charge of that and it would be great if you would kind of briefly explain to people who don't know what that means, um, what that is. But COVID hit, I think, right in the middle of that. And so I was wondering, did you find yourself adjusting your leadership style or your approach to leading that project at all because of COVID? Yeah, so Project Prelude was centered around really right-sizing our operations footprint. So the first phase was focused on the closure of the Grand Rapids uh, manufacturing facility, which is largely now complete. And then the second phase we're getting into now, which is centering around mixing centers or warehouses and how do we consolidate those spaces as well which we'll we're planning now and that'll execute in the early part of uh, 2021 so you know back to your question on sort of COVID hitting and yeah style so you know we were we had a very carefully planned move (laughs) i'm sure (laughs) you did very detailed out in terms of the build ahead plans which intersected with a physical move plans, which intersected with our operator training plans. And 
probably about right smack in the middle, halfway through that, those moves and those plans, COVID hit, you know, travel halted, <laughs> all of our lives seemed to halt at that point, and nice, the entire yeah. project was was put on hold. So we obviously had to pivot. And the first part of it was easy. It was kind of stop everything and we'll regroup. But then when travel travel restrictions lifted, state mandates started lifting in May, we had to make the tough call to really swiftly execute the rest of the plan because we had to weigh the risks of, we didn't get to do all the training we wanted. We didn't get to do all the detailed build ahead plans, but we were weighing that against the risk of, we didn't know what was going to happen. Were we going to get go under back under restrictions and leave equipment stranded at one site or another and really put our operation and our and our service at risk. So so we ended up executing the balance of the moves in in, in May and you know here we are today and and finally getting caught up from a uh, production <laughs> standpoint. But you know in terms of approach, I think you know first of all as a leader you, you need to be comfortable with ambiguity and right. knowing when to kind of let go and move on and and it wouldn't have done anybody any good for you know, to harp on how perfect our plan was and how awful it was we got <laughs> derailed and, you know, be a victim toward the whole thing because that would have carried right. out, you know, to the whole team. So we just had to adapt and day to day be as flexible as we could and continue to put new plans in place. I mean, there was iterations of the plan that we went over multiple times throughout that whole six or eight week time frame where we were completely shut down. So there's that piece. And I think it was, it was critical for us to quickly then take those ideas and plans and quickly build consensus. So, okay. you know, we've got an amazing leadership team at Knoll. They were very supportive of the whole project through the whole process. And my job was to keep things fact-based, present options as objectively as I could, right. form, form a position. And then that allowed, I think, that quick consensus building, which then allowed me to be decisive and carry that out to the team on you know what was next. So. Again, I didn't. It would have been. It would have been very challenging if we were all living in that ambiguity, not knowing what's going on. So just trying to build consensus, move on to the next step, was really critical. And then, then you move into a how do you stay as transparent and communicate as clearly as as possible? You know, so I made it a point to just have standing meetings with everyone, keep the team informed. The strategy was always kind of three audiences. We had the core project team, which we had to obviously keep informed every step of the way. We had a bunch of supporting functions, you know, whether it was IT or database or procurement or all these areas that were obviously affected by the decisions that we were making in our timeline. And then obviously the local leadership teams, right? So the folks supporting East Greenville, Grand Rapids, Muskegon. So, you know, tactically, how do you do that? You just keep recurring touch points on the calendar and just continue to use those opportunities to make sure everyone was on the same page and we could deploy those messages quickly, clearly, and then move on to the next, to the next step. Wow, that is a lot of moving pieces. One of the things you were talking about, Eric, you said that uh, you could have gone on and on about how perfect your plans were, but that wouldn't have probably helped anybody at that point. And it could have been a victim to the whole, this is so terrible that COVID hit. How do you process that yourself? One of the things that somebody had said about you is that you never lost your cool. You always kept your composure throughout. And that helps people so much, but I think it's, it's sometimes hard for people to do. Yeah, I think, I mean, privately, I had those initial moments of, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. But, right. you know, I, I think, and this is, it's almost counterintuitive because COVID hitting was such a bigger impact on people's lives, like way beyond right. this project. It almost helps put it in perspective. Oh. Okay, we're just running an operations project. It's impacted. We'll figure things out. And 
you know, it's almost like maybe some of the smaller issues that we've encountered over time or plans that got derailed maybe felt worse than this in, in that sense, because it was almost like you could, at the end of the day, it wasn't as bad as obviously other things that were happening in the world. So maybe that helped and and getting us to sort of that, that next step. You know, also in a sense that the mandates sort of dictated what we were doing and there wasn't a lot of options in, in those moments of time. Um, and and actually created a little bit of space for us to get the right plans together because we were forced to shut down. I mean, there's nothing else we could do at that stage. We were literally, we were traveling, we were on site, all the mandates came down the third or fourth week in March. And then all of a sudden we were all home and it was almost gave us a chance to, to breathe in a sense and, and regroup and figure things out, put the new plan together. And that plan did change three or four times, by the way, but each iteration, it felt like we, we weren't pressed to, make that final decision maybe until we were allowed by those mandates to, 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 to uh, restart again. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. My next question, actually, these two kind of go together, but you have a particular reputation for facilitating a lot of cross collaboration, or you're just really good at getting people on board quickly. What's your secret of doing that? Sure. So part of it is, being in a CI role or a continuous improvement role, which have been many of in different stages of my career, you know, always in that space, right. you're, you're constantly trying to make an impact and you carry responsibility to get results, but without any direct authority <laughs> over the nice. situation or the area <laughs> that you're trying to make an impact, right? So you fly in, you make an impact in someone else's space. And you sustain it, and you get out, move on to the next, to the next thing. So, those skills of the cross collaboration and getting people on board quickly, and it's essential. It's out of necessity in that role, or you won't be successful. So, I talk to my team a lot about leaders and various roles about this concept of followership. If you look at the definition, it's it's really centered around there's the leaders that lead and then for it to be successful, you have to have folks that are in active pursuit of those goals. So, you know, you've got good work ethic and you're competent and you're loyal and honest. And, and right. but when I talk about followership, it's not really from the follower's perspective, right? It's from the leader's perspective and it's consciously working to create an environment where you're as a leader facilitating that followership, right? So how do I promote open dialogue? How do I mm-hmm. make sure that I'm always not just listening to input, but truly valuing input and giving feedback and making sure that I know when to delegate and when not to delegate and thanking others for their work. And, and I, it, it might sound kind of cheesy, but creating an environment where people can do their best and and that, that's not cheesy at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole concept of I'm not just a leader to get results, but to be truly successful, particularly when you're in someone else's space, right? How do you create that environment where that followership is facilitated by the way you lead? That's, that's I think, if you, a survival skill, if you will, <laughs> as, yeah, you're, yeah. as you're a continuous improvement leader or engineer or manager or whatever it might be that that's a that's a core skill. Otherwise, at the end of the day, when you're working with other groups, do they have to listen? Or maybe if they're told to, but you want to create an environment where they want to where they want to buy what you're selling. They want to be on the team. They want to they want to be as successful and, and see it follow through just the way they need. Thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Eric Krauthammel. You won't want to miss part two. If you have any questions or comments related to the podcast, please contact me at learningdevelopment at noel.com.